This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 82, recorded December 21st, 2011. Advent and the Apocalypse. Welcome to This Week in Prayer Room Companion. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and as we mentioned last week, Father Andrew was taking a couple days of uh, recollection, preparing to celebrate uh, the Solemnity of Christmas. Um, and so I... I I, I searched the world far and wide for a guest co-host and really couldn't find anybody good, so I, I, I asked Carl Olson if he could help out instead. Hi, Carl. Hi, Chris. Well, so, I, I, can second, I can second that. <laughs> You're Carl, definitely digging at the bottom. Uh, the bottom of the barrel. Um, we, we, and it was actually just about a year ago, I think late November, maybe early December last year, um, uh, I had you on and we talked about um, Light of the World. Uh, right, the the right. then new book, and also uh, Verbum Domini? Domini, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I thought, you know, it's you know, it, it's been at least a year, so it's everybody's recovered enough. sufficiently. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, so, Carl, but just as a quick reminder, uh, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I wear many hats, uh, most of them crumpled, but I. Uh, my main work for the last several years has been working for Ignatius Press, who I've written a couple of books for. My first book was Will Catholics Be Left Behind, which was a study of the whole rapture belief system, left behind theology. Uh, I operate the Ignatius Insight uh, e-magazine for Ignatius Press. And uh, for a number of years now, I've written a regular scripture column for our Sunday Visitor newspaper, which has been uh, a real, it's, it's been really fun. enjoy doing that. And uh, write for some other Catholic publications and uh, co-author the Da Vinci Hoax, uh, which is, uh, of course, uh, the, the big fad with uh, Dan Brown's novel. So, but I've had a, a real interest, as you know, Chris, in the, the end times beliefs and, and how do we properly approach that. And, uh, and Advent is really a good time to, to touch on some of those things. Yeah, that's why um, I thought uh, it'd be good to have you on. Um, you know, often, obviously, in Advent, we, we're celebrating the birth of Christ, but I think a lot of Catholics um, either don't know or it's easy to forget, even if we do know, because I include myself in that, uh, easy to forget that, that we're not just celebrating the birth of Christ, but we're celebrating as well uh, the way that he is present to us in our daily lives now, past and present, but also the future, looking forward to his second coming. Um, and, and, and exactly for the reason that you just mentioned, um, I thought it'd be good to have you on talk a little bit about it because you know something, a thing or two about um, Jesus. Well, at least I've occasionally time. played somebody who knows something on, on television. You have done that. So. <laughs> well, this is something that's interested me since I was growing up in a, a little fundamentalist church in western Montana. By that, I mean the, the end times. Now, I was raised, of course, with this really uh, doom and gloom scenarios. The, the end of the world was coming soon. In fact, I was, you know, I've told you this before that I, I was told growing up in my teens, don't even worry about getting married because the end of the world, the rapture and the end of the world are going to happen before that, before you're, you know, in your 20s or 30s, whatever. And this is because the Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth was the big book, right? Well, that was or, the big or, thing. And this is, you know, I'm talking about the 1980s. It's prior to Left Behind books, but uh, the Hal Lindsey books uh, were huge still for us at that time. But really, it goes back to our, our use of the, the Schofield Reference Bible, sure. uh, which was kind of considered the fundamentalist Bible beginning in the early 1900s. This whole belief system of how to interpret the book of Revelation and then books like uh, Ezekiel and Daniel and so forth. And so I, I was raised with this real, this real sense of the, the end is really 
near. Now, along with that was the interesting phenomenon that I was being raised in a little church that although they were fundamentalists, we actually celebrated. We have we had this little celebration of uh, of the Last Supper or the, the Lord's Supper. Um, we had different names for it, but where we would actually do a little communion service at the end of of our uh, regular uh, Sunday morning service, and usually about ten minutes, and we'd read some passages from uh, the Gospels, and we'd receive you know bread and grape juice. Uh, it was rather informal, informal, but it was actually the most liturgical aspect of of that that church that I grew up in and I mentioned those two things because they go hand in hand with really what drew me to the Catholic Church which was the recognition that the Catholic Church had the truth about salvation history and what it's all about the big picture uh, and it was the true church founded by Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church had the Eucharist and the, the Eucharist is really what drew us to the Catholic Church, and this all goes ties into Advent because, as you you touched on, you know, obviously Christmas we, in a real sense, look back at the birth of Christ. It's about the the incarnation, um, but Advent also has us looking forward to the final Advent, the return of Christ. Mm -hmm. But then that raises the question: Okay, so where are we at now? Are we just kind of in this state of of what is it? You know, are we just out here in the wilderness walking? And there is a sense when you when you look at the Advent readings about John in the wilderness, in which there is a hint of that that we are actually in uh, a pilgrimage, of course. But also, there's this recognition that Christ is coming to us now, and certainly Christmas is all about that. But I think it really comes into focus uh, with the reception of of the Eucharist. That in the Eucharist, we we are able to participate obviously fully in receiving Christ um, and that helps us then to journey toward that final advent that final time when we will encounter Christ and hopefully by God's grace we will be prepared you know prepared for that uh, that meeting hey, actually I want to just uh, real quick parenthetical question um, what's the Schofield reference Bible uh, well, Cyrus Schofield was a an American, an interesting guy. Um, uh, some people claim he's basically a con artist, but that aside, <laughs> Schofield had this conversion experience after kind of this wayward life uh, in the late 1800s, and he became a disciple of John Nelson Darby, who was the the Irish Irishman who really developed this theology of the left-behind theology, what's called premillennial dispensationalism. Darby came over to North America seven or eight times in the late 1800s to give uh, uh, talks. And Schofield became an ardent disciple of his writings, and, and he took notes. And Schofield then took his notes, and he applied those, or he used those to write notes uh, to create an annotated Bible. Okay. So that basically somebody could read, say, oh, they'd read Matthew 24 and 25. They could look at Schofield's notes, and they'd get a great sense of what this actually meant, uh, largely according to what John Nelson Darby taught and how it was to be interpreted. And this Bible went on to sell millions of copies over the course of just uh, maybe 30 or 40 years. And it was instrumental in really establishing um, a number of fundamentalist Bible colleges in North America, both Canada and uh, United States. And so it was a very uh, very influential work as far as perpetuating this left behind theology that in more recent years, of course, has come to us through works of fiction. Um, 
the Left Behind novels by uh, Tim LaHaye and, and Jerry B. Dinkins. So Schofield's uh, Bible, I, of course I use that term very loosely, um, his annotated work, uh, really, really important for understanding um, American fundamentalism. Okay. So we'll probably come back to that, talking about premillennial dispensationalism. But um, what you were just saying there before I asked you that question, talking about how, um, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, we celebrate Jesus' birth, um, we look forward to the second coming, but also, again, he is present to us in our daily lives, where two or three gather their name, but, but as you mentioned, also, in, of course, in a, in a, in a unique way, um, in Holy Communion, in the Eucharist. Um, is there any, how, what does that mean? Um, what's, so what? Well, I would, I'll go back to a quote, you know, you and I were talking about before we, we started. Um, and this is a great quote that I discovered a few years ago by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was the great 12th century doctor of the church. Um, he had this really wonderful little quote, and he says, There are three distinct comings of the Lord of which I know. His coming to people, his coming into people, and his coming against people. And I think in those three comings described by by St. Bernard, uh, we have these three that we've touched on. Uh, the first coming is coming to people where uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, becomes flesh, the incarnate word, and enters into history. And, of course, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That last coming he talks about is coming against people. I think uh, Bernard is focusing there on judgment which of course is is something that advent you know it's that's the uncomfortable part of advent that's the part that really challenges us which is advent is a time of conversion of repentance of really examining ourselves and preparing for this coming of Christ not just at the the last coming uh, the, the last advent but his coming to us now uh, that middle coming that saint bernard talks about his coming into people uh, and, and i love that simple little phrase his coming into people uh, and that coming into people is because is is possible because he has already come to us. He's become flesh, and now, because he is the incarnate Word, he is now able to present himself to us um, at the altar. And so we then are, when we receive Eucharist, we're participating in this grand cosmic uh, salvation panorama. Um, and even if we don't feel that way, even if we don't sense the grandeur of that. I think it's good to remind ourselves that Christmas is a great time to think about that because there is this this real sense of a, a larger-than-life event. And um, I think it's a good time to contemplate the fact that we really do participate in this most serious and solemn and joyful uh, reality of salvation uh, offered to us by God. Right. You know, it's funny you say that. Yesterday, I, I, um, I read the... Uh the Daily Catholic Devotional Magnificat. Many people are probably familiar with it. Yeah, it's, it's the, wonderful. The wonderful. Um, and, and yesterday, one of the little prayers or reflections, not, I don't know, more of a, it is a prayer, um, that they had uh, a quote from St. Thomas of Villanova, who they use a lot, actually, who I know very little about. Um, he said, and this, what you were just saying reminded me of this. He said, Oh, little child, so tender and delicate, you were hiding here in disguise for immense power is concealed under this weakness. How mighty is the majesty enfolded in these swaddling bands. Now, I, I was reading that, actually, um, 
uh, I was uh, in one of the adoration chapels in one of our parishes here in Sioux Falls uh, yesterday, and what struck me, I, I mean, I, certainly reflecting on, on the, 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 the baby Jesus uh, in Bethlehem, but also he is, was present in my midst. And, and so, I mean, I was, you were hiding here in disguise for immense power is concealed under this weakness. Certainly as the baby, but now in the Eucharist, immense power is concealed under this weakness. Looks like bread, but this is, I love, Carl, I don't know if you've, the, the new title or the, the new translation of the Missal, um, the last Sunday of Advent, it's no longer Jesus Christ King. It's our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. Mm. Uh, a really, I mean, a, a majestic yeah, title. Um, so, so thinking about that, uh, and then looking at him who is present in my midst, and then also how mighty is the majesty enfolded, not necessarily in these swaddling bands, but how mighty is the majesty enfolded in this glass and metal, the monstrance. Um, mm. You know, just how, you know, the the uh, you know what Saint Paul says in um, one of his letters. What is it? Colossians, the great uh-huh. uh, Christological hymn. Um, Christ oh. emptied himself. Um, Philippians, you know, yeah. Philippians. Um, the humility of God to become present in a baby and now in the Eucharist as well. Is, um, I don't think we can reflect on that enough, pray on that enough. Right. The the emptying of, of God, the, the, what's sometimes called the divine condescension, uh, which um, people misunderstand that because we have a bad understanding of, of that word. But Right. Um, well, it kind of it goes along with this quote that I, I – I was looking through this little book that I, I read parts of every Advent. It's called the The Advent of Salvation by Jean Danielou. He's a uh, made a cardinal shortly before he died. Um, made a cardinal by John Paul II, a uh, great French theologian. And this is a wonderful book because he looks at the whole scope of salvation history. And this is just one little quote from that. Um, he says that Christ then had had certainly come. He has come. But he is always he that is to come. Again, it's it's kind of a take on that those three comings. And then he says, he has come, uh, not yet wholly come. And though the waiting of Israel had been crowned, Israel is nonetheless still waiting. We live always during Advent. We are always waiting for the Messiah to come. He has come, but it is not yet fully manifest. One of Daniel's points is that the season of Advent should help us focus on the reality that our entire time on this earth is an Advent of sorts. That we're constantly waiting for the for the that fullness of time when Christ will reveal himself as say as Lord of the universe and every knee shall bow, every tongue confessed. And then Donnie Lou writes, uh, Christ is not fully manifest in each of our souls. You know, here's the challenge of, of growing in holiness. He is not yet fully manifest in mankind as a whole. That is to say that just as Christ was born according to the flesh in Bethlehem of Judah, so must he be born according to the spirit in each of our souls. And I think that's a great little um, thing to consider as well, that at Christmas we, we celebrate Christ's birth in the manger, that real historical event, because Christianity is such a historically based and rooted religion. Um, but also we need to consider that Christ must be born anew within us mm-hmm. and that we must be further transformed, made into his image and likeness. And so that's the real challenge of Christmas. So. Obviously, the, one of the struggles with Christmas, the difficulties of Christmas, is in our society. There's so much about uh, gifts and buying gifts, and a lot of kind of nostalgic, sugary type things that go along with Christmas. And obviously, that's remarked upon a lot. Uh, you know, I don't, 
I don't like to get carried away with criticizing that too much. I think the key thing is that we need to spend time during the Christmas season, just taking a, some time to really consider the heart of what it's all about and to really challenge ourselves um, to grow in holiness and to recognize the gift of grace. Uh, and then to really long for, to more deeply look for an expectation to to the end, not as something that we dread, but as something that we anticipate with, with great joy. Um, so those are some of the real challenges uh, of Advent and of Christmas amidst the joy and amidst the time with family and all these things that are very, very good. Uh, those are some of the challenges. Yeah, to the to the whole point, you know, getting caught up in the nostalgia and so and so on. Um, it's looking like here in uh, in South Dakota and Minnesota, up up at home, where we'll be for part of of um, the Christmas season. It's going to be a brown Christmas. And I'm sure you get that all the time in the Northwest where you <laughs> That's are. That's right. <laughs> but I can't. I I despise brown Christmases. But just today, I was thinking, okay, wait a second, Mister Theologian guy. <laughs> So Christmas is about snow, really? You know, and, and this is maybe, you know, one way God reminding me of what I, you know, I mean, yeah, it's easy maybe for me to criticize the consumerist um, approach to Christmas, but maybe I get too caught up in my own little um, small tea traditions, nostalgic traditions about Christmas. Is, you know, this is what I need to have in order to really enter into the spirit. Oh, no, I don't think so. No, I, it's a great point. I totally agree because the same thing. And that's why I said, you know, I, I don't – it's really easy to get caught up into the, oh, the Christmas wars and people are trying to get rid of Christmas trees or saying Merry Christmas. I think those things are important in their place because we we shouldn't be afraid or back down from saying Merry Christmas in public. I mean, all that is rather ridiculous. But I think if it doesn't go to our heart, if we don't really challenge ourselves and say what is it that that needs to be – further refined in us. Um, there's a great quote in the Catechism, I think, that goes along with this very, very well. Uh, paragraph 524 of the Catechism. No, it, no what, what's, that, what, what's that in? The what? The, the Catechism is a, um, is, a, is a kind of a, what we call it, uh, a, a vague series of guidelines <laughs> that put, put together by those power-hungry people oh, yeah. in, in the Vatican. Okay. Yeah. Um, men, the, let's be clear. Men. Power men. 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 <laughs> old white men <laughs> except for Cardinal Renze of course yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway you know, so. I, well <laughs> you know it's, it's funny it takes me back to years ago when I met this uh, young lady who was um, she was a Protestant who was wanted to become Catholic and she started going to this these catechism classes well she thought they were catechism classes at this parish uh, in Portland Oregon and about the third or fourth RCIA class she she asked the leader, so I've not seen you use or refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And he got really angry. He said, oh, that's just a stupid political document. We don't use that here. Um, and she asked me, what should I do? And I said, well, I think you should go to a different parish. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, uh. You know, the Catechism for me was, was so helpful in, in the journey of becoming Catholic. Uh, my wife and I entered the church in 1997. And there are some really beautiful, beautiful passages, and this is one of them, I think, that really captures uh, some essential points about Advent. The paragraph 524, it says that when the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, 
the faithful renew their ardent desire for a second coming. By celebrating the precursor's death and martyrdom, the church unites himself with his desire, that is, the desire of John the Baptist. He's the precursor. He must increase, Christ must increase, but I must decrease. And so what the Catechism is saying, we have to unite ourselves with that desire of John the Baptist. I mean, these, this really is John the Baptist's legacy in one statement. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Well, it means that we must be more filled with Christ so that we become more truly who we are meant to be. Um, it's not that we our personalities dissolve as though this is some kind of Eastern uh, monistic type of you know Buddhist type uh, preparation, but rather we become more who we are the more that we are filled with Christ. And this is something that you know John Paul II talked about this constantly, I think in different ways. and uh, it's it's a great challenge for us that we that we die to ourselves, to our desires, just die to our, nostalgia if our nostalgia is getting in the way you know I mean it's right. one thing to say oh I love the snow at Christmas and to say it's not Christmas if I don't have right at least six inches of snow and you know, yeah and I, I'm yep. the same way because I'm from Montana I miss the snow I am not a big fan of rainy Christmases <laughs> 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 but that's oftentimes what I get and so um, it's it's good point. We need to really look at what is uh, what is that all about, and um, and that's about decreasing so that Christ might increase in us. Right, right. And now the other point, then you know, the uh, at the dimension of Advent that's focused on the the second and final coming of Christ. Um, you know, we, we I think we do see that in a particular way just before Advent with um, the last Sunday in Ordinary Time that we just talked about, Jesus Christ came to the universe, and the readings for that Mass and then that final week in Ordinary Time uh, pointing to the fact that Jesus is going to come again. And, you know, oftentimes in popular culture, um, you know, the movies, all, you know, especially in the 80s, those, you know, secular apocalyptic movies, um, you know, with pseudo-religious, pseudo, pseudo I should say, apocalyptic, like we're trying to prevent that and so on. But for Christians, we look forward to, we hope, we await for, you know, it's, as you said, the final advent. We await for the second coming of Christ. We want him to come again, um, you know. But, and that, and Advent has that dimension to it as well. So um, you, you, you sort of, te I'm teeing this up for you, oh, eschatological <laughs> enthusiast that you are. Well, the, you know, Advent comes from the, the Latin word Adventus, which is a translation of the Greek word parousia, or parousia. I've, I've heard it, you know, said both, both ways. Maybe you can tell me. Um, I, usually I, say, say, I say parousia. Say it again. Parousia, parousia. I usually say parousia. Parousia. And I'm the one who had had a full, you know, Greek half a year, half a year of Greek. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the key, the so Advent comes from this Greek word. But what does this Greek word mean? Well, oh, you know, Scott Hahn has done a great job of really in his various books of bringing out the fact that this is uh, a talks about a presence or an arrival, and it's used um, in non-canonical writings, but also within scripture to relate to the coming of a king, the arrival of a king who comes in glory. And the people then go out of the city to meet the king and then journey with him back into the city. Uh, there's that this great imagery of that uh, behind behind the word. And this, this word is used throughout scripture, uh, Matthew 24, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 
Second Peter talks about it. It uses it. Um, and it is this victorious glory that accompanies the king of glory, the, the king of the universe. But this, of course, doesn't happen. This isn't realized fully until the end of time. But, you know, here's the tension that we live in. That reality of, of glory has already entered into time and space in the incarnation. Um, look at John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, John 1.14. So that glory is here, but it's, it's hidden, as you talked about. It's hidden in the form of the child. It's hidden under the appearance of bread and wine. It's, in a sense, hidden in us. Uh, so how do we bring that out? Well, it's in how we live and it's it's not going to be fully revealed, you know. As Paul talks about, these things won't be fully revealed until the Son of Man comes in glory. And and uh, you know, the universe, the cosmos, as Paul says, it groans in anticipation. It longs for this revealing. And I think this is what you know. John Paul II talks about in his encyclical on the Eucharist. We live what's called in, in an eschatological tension. We live with this tension, and that's why sometimes it's very uncomfortable. Or difficult or challenging to be a disciple of Christ uh, in this world. I'm sorry. Did you? Oh, I I, I, I nodded off there. Oh, what, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the you know the, uh, the one phrase that you sometimes already and not yet. You yes. know that, that Christ both, is already yeah. already present. The both end. Yeah, both. Uh, he's already present, but not in that fullness. The glory, as you just saying, the glory is here, but not in the way that is going to be fully revealed um, at the end of time. And again, the end. Of, uh, well, the, the end times began with the incarnation. I mean, a lot of it's not just at the second coming. We live. We're living in the end times. The fullness of time, as Saint Paul says, um, is when Christ, uh, when the Father sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Um, so we are living in the end times, but most people, when they think about the end times, think about um, the second coming. Uh, you know, we got about yeah. five minutes to go. What, any, any, anything you want to say? I think it would be it, to me it'd be good just to briefly touch on what's the Catholic understanding of second coming, and then you know of you the of the yeah, and then the end times. Um, the end times yeah. That's something I, in my, my book, Catholics We Left Behind, I talk about right at the beginning is we have to understand what it, what Scripture means by the end times because, as you said, people think about when Christ returns and there's black helicopters and explosions and nuclear warfare and et cetera. Right. Well, the fact is, is Scripture talks about very clearly that we are living in the end times, and the end times began with the incarnation. And this kind of, you know, for me coming from a fundamentalist background to a Catholic church is something I had to spend some time wrapping my, my brain around a little bit. But as I began to understand it and look more deeply in Scripture, it, it makes great sense. So, for instance, the uh, the opening verses of Hebrews, uh, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Uh, Peter, in his great sermon at Pentecost, talks about this, about the, the fulfillment of the, the prophecy of Joel, uh, and about how in these last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. So the, the last days, or the end times, properly understood, refer to the time of the new covenant, uh, when God is gathering men and women into the church, uh, which is, as Lumen Gentium, Vatican II document on the church, talks about, the church is the the on earth the seed and beginning of the kingdom and so we live in the end times and I think that's part of that that difficulty as well we know that we're made for something more 
Uh, we have a good sense of what that is because of God's grace, because of the divine revelation given to us through tradition and scripture and through the church. Uh, but we also know that really until we're in the presence of, of Christ by the grace of God, that will not that will not be realized, that we're just going to have to live with that. But the great thing is we have the we have the Eucharist. And, you know, you and I talked about how I think for some Protestants, I thinking back on my own upbringing, I think a lot of them get really caught up in trying to figure out, oh, it's going to happen right away. We've got the European Union. We've got the Temple Mount. We've got all they get caught up in this because, in a sense, they have no way of dealing with this tension. Whereas Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox and we have the means of addressing that tension by the reception of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. He gives us that gift so that we can abide and we can handle the drudgery, the difficulty, the trials of this world. Um, whereas for, for some of our separated brothers and sisters, they don't have that. And I think it begins to manifest itself in kind of weird ways at times. I don't think that's all of it, but I think that's a big part of it. Sure. Um, and, and so I think that we should... We really need to be thankful for what we what we possess and not take it not take it for granted. So how do we you know any have you ever thought about this is this is you know feel free to pass on this one because I don't know how I'd answer it if I asked if you ask it to me how do how do we concretely in the season of Advent now we're recording this on the twenty first you know just a few days to go but how can we in our preparation for Christmas prepare more worth, or prepare period for the second coming is to celebrate the second coming well i think that we look to the sacraments and i think like if um for those who've not yet had a chance to go to confession during advent yep. i think if you have a chance before christmas do that really uh have an examination of conscience spend a little time to really look at your life you know i the nice thing too is that when we look at the 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 biggest that we call the civil calendar, you know, we're coming up on the end of the end of the year, time for New Year's resolutions and all that. We can maybe combine that with this and say, you know, I, I, what are some things that I need to change? You know, my pastor does a really good job of emphasizing, you know, too often we think we have to change everything right now. Instead, just pick pick that one thing that you can work on. Go to confession, deal with all of your sins, and then just pick that one thing and say, you know what, during this Christmas season, I'm going to speak more gently to my family. I'm going to be more patient with coworkers that drive me insane. I'm going to, whatever it is, pick a very practical, <laughs> very practical thing. And then I think just spend, um, try to spend some more time in prayer, whether yourself or with your family or whatever uh, really focusing on the incarnation and the reality of what this means of course obviously go to the Christmas liturgies and so forth but um, even outside of that to spend a little bit of time either reading maybe reading the you know the, the the readings during Christmas are really profound and the way they're put together there's really a beautiful continuity obviously all of scripture has a continuity to it focused on Christ, but maybe spend some time alone just reading the those readings um, for the different masses on Christmas. Um, I think there's about four different sets of readings, if, I, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yep. And look at all those together, maybe over the course of the, the different days of Christmas to read those. And I think you'll really be struck by how they so beautifully tie together. So those are maybe a couple different things, um, yeah. just real basic points. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. 
Um, any anything else that we uh, that you were dying to say that I didn't let you as we just wrap up here? Well, another thing, you know, I talked about the eschatological tension. I threw out that big term so I could, you know, sound sound fancy and smart. <laughs> uh, that's just taken from John Paul II's uh, encyclical on the Eucharist. Um, I, if you have a chance to read that, uh, the Vatican's calling me right now. That's the phone you hear. Um, yeah. If you have a ch- <laughs> the Pope is every every morning about this time. Um, <laughs> if you have a chance to read John Paul II's encyclical on the Eucharist, or to read just paragraphs eighteen and nineteen, uh, there's some really beautiful things in there about the coming of Christ. The Eucharist being the anticipation of future glory, the pledge of future glory, uh, the joyful hope of receiving the Eucharist. I think maybe this Christmas, challenge yourself to appreciate even more the relationship of the Eucharist to our final final goal, which is to enter into the presence uh, of God and to to enter into the divine life. Um, That would definitely be a great place to go. So it's 18 to 19. Of, that's Ecclesia de Eucharistia, right? Is that the, yes. The Latin? So uh, um, on the relationship between the Eucharist and the Church? The right, Church the right. Yeah. And I think it was this, uh, his I final. want to say it was his final, final encyclical. Yep. Uh, yep. Very, very kind of fitting. Um, and he talks about a very profound passage, I think, paragraphs 18 and 19 of that particular encyclical. Great. All right. Well, thanks, Carl, for uh, filling in for the ordained. Uh, you know, we we lay, you know, we, we try, we, we do what we can. Well, Chris, uh, it's always a, it's always fun to to talk to you, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be uh, be talking about these important things with you. Amen. All right, that's it for this week in Prayer Room Companion. Um, Father Andrew and I will be taking both be taking next week off. We'll be back in the new year. Until then, have a blessed rest of your Advent. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next year. God bless.